Hey, who's excited to be here at Salt Company tonight? Come on. Hey, can we just give it up for Leo? That was amazing. He leads with passion. I freaking love Leo. Guys, it is so good to be with you guys tonight. Hey, if I haven't met you yet, my name is Tony. I'm on staff here with the Salt Company, and we're going to be continuing our series in the book of Hebrews, okay? So if you've got a Bible, we'd love for you to turn there. It's about 85% of the way through your Bible. We're going to be in Hebrews 12 tonight. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you one for free. Otherwise, you can use the Google machine and find it, okay? Hebrews 12. And before we jump in, I just want to say really quickly, I say this every single Thursday, but it's because I mean it. If you're new here to Salt Company, and this is the first time that you've ever been here, or the first time in a long time that you've been here, we just wanted to say thank you. We actually recognize that stepping into an environment like this can feel really intimidating. We just sing loud songs, do the speaking thing, like all of that. So I just want to say thank you so much for being here. Hebrews 12, 5 through 13 is where we'll be, but let me pray as we enter into our time together. Yeah, Lord, this has been uh, just a heavy week, and there are things that are happening in our ministry that are painful and brutal and scary and really, really hard. And Lord, I haven't felt this week during a sermon in a long time, and so I'm asking you to move in a mighty way, to say more than I could ever say to speak in a way that is so much more powerful than I could ever speak. And Father, would you move through Hebrews chapter 12 tonight? Would your spirit be heavy in this place? Would the distractions go away? And would people be able to look past all the music, the sound, me, into your word and see how beautiful you are? Father, pray that tonight wouldn't be an ordinary Thursday, but that you would move in a mighty way. To your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. The question that I have for you guys to start is what would be the most common question that people would ask of God? Okay, I don't know about you guys, but I'm a sucker for some FAQs, frequently asked questions. Yes, very exciting. So here's what I did. I took the privilege of looking up what the most common questions that people type in a Google machine are, okay? And here's what I found. First one, why is there a leap day? Does anyone know? Does anyone know? Yes? Um, because because um, the sun only, Earth only goes around the sun 365 and a quarter day every year. So every four years, they just add another day. All right. Yeah, that's good. Come on. Come on. Look at that. Crowd participation. Almost broke my back, but it was worth it. Okay. Second question. Second question. This one is very philosophical, but okay. <laughs> Why is the sky blue? Yeah. Look at that. Isn't that nice? We're going to move on. We're not going to answer that question. We're just going to move on. Third one was hilarious. Like, I literally started laughing. The third most searched question into the Google machine is, why are you always lying? That 135,000 searches a month. How good is that for your soul? Do you just love that? Why are you always lying? People be typing that 135,000 times a month. Now you know. This is good for you. This is a good party trick. Number four felt a little bit personal. It was, why is my poop green? Eat your veggies, you know, that's what happens. You didn't know that, but now you do. Fiber intake, very good for you. I know, it's gross, I get it, I understand. But I felt like that was gonna be helpful for some of you. Okay, number five was boring, so I'm gonna skip to number six, and that question is, why, 
Why are cats so afraid of cucumbers? Think about it. It's scary. So those are the most frequently asked questions to Google. Back to my sermon. Okay, great, we can do this. But the question I have for you tonight is, if you could take any person off of your campus or any person in your city and ask them the question that they would most likely ask to God, what would be the most frequently asked question to him? My guess is that if you polled 400 million people here in the United States, almost all of them would ask God this question. Why is there so much suffering in the world? Another way that this has been phrased, if God is so good and he's all-powerful, which means he can do whatever he wants and he has a good heart, then why is there so much evil and suffering in the world? A personal way to ask this question is, God, why is there so much suffering in my life? Now here, I just want to level with you guys before we get into it. This is not one of those sermons where I'm like, here's like three reasons why. Okay, I'm going to give you actual reasons. But the reason why I say that is because, honestly, this has been one of the biggest questions of my entire life. Before I met Jesus, that was the one reason why I didn't want to believe in God. I could not believe that a God who was infinitely powerful and supposedly called himself infinitely good would allow this much suffering and evil in the world. So when I was 13 years old, I left the church, I ditched anything religion, and I said, Jesus, I don't need you. But even after I became a Christian, right? Don't you know when you become a Christian, all your questions evaporate. No, you still got them. Here's what happened for me. I became a Christian. I started to fall deeply in love with Jesus. I became a disciple of Jesus. And yet this one question would ruminate in my soul. God, why is there so much suffering in this world? This is going to make you some, some of you guys uncomfortable. But that one question has been the singular root of the most anger and bitterness I've ever had towards God. Some of you guys are from like traditional backgrounds and you're like, are pastors allowed to say, like, is that illegal? <laughs> Who knows? I don't know. But it's true. It's me being honest. And so listen, tonight, my goal is not to give you a couple Christian formalities or some Christian cliches to bumper sticker your pain. My goal tonight is not to give you a bunch of nice, cute things so that you can take with you so that in the depths of your suffering, you won't remember them. My goal here tonight is to give you hope beyond this life, to share with you the beauty of the heart of God. And to pray that Hebrews 12 would transform the way that you view your suffering and God would meet you in the valley. Open up your Bibles with me to Hebrews chapter 12. That's where we're going to be tonight. Two reasons I see from Hebrews chapter 12 for why God allows us to endure suffering. First one is because there is something better than a painless life. I know that sounds kind of weird, but the painless life is not the end game of our lives, Christian. If you're here and you know Jesus, the point of your life is not to live a painless life. There's something far greater than a painless life. And the second thing that I want to show you is that there's purpose in the pain. I know you've heard that before, and it's usually by some well-meaning old church lady that's like, oh my gosh, God will make it work for your good. And you're like, you don't understand me, okay? But my hope is actually to give you a deep-rooted purpose that you would see that God wants to use the pain in your life to develop a depth within you that cannot be developed in seasons of ease and comfort, but can only be developed in seasons of suffering. Open up your Bibles with me to Hebrews chapter 12, part one. There is something better than a painless life. Look with me to verse five as we begin our time together. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. 
It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there in whom his father does not discipline? Okay, this text is about the discipline of God. And verse 6 is the hinge point of this entire text, and it's where it says that God disciplines the one he loves. And so if you're a note taker, I just want to define discipline as we enter into the rest of this passage together. The discipline of God is allowing you to suffer. Not taking away the circumstances and brokenness in your life that would make your life easier. He allows you to suffer. And I want to make it incredibly clear that suffering is not caused by God. That the suffering of this world is caused by the fallen nature of our sin and the brokenness of humanity. But it is used by God to transform you and to make you new. Therefore, a working paraphrase of verse 6 is this, that the Lord allows you to suffer because he loves you. Okay, so tonight it's going to be a little bit different. Uh, I don't, if you guys have been coming for a couple weeks, you recognize I'm kind of like a heart preacher. You know, I'm like, ooh, you know what I mean? Like we do that thing. Tonight, for the next six minutes, I'm actually going to give you a philosophical reasoning or a logical flow of why God could be good, gracious, and loving in his allowing you to suffer. I'm going to give you a philosophical reason. The first way we're going to be doing that is by comparing and contrasting biblical Christianity with four other major worldviews and ideologies of this world. And then I'm going to ask you four rhetorical questions that you're supposed to think in your mind, oh, yeah, that's true, okay? That's the way that logical flow works. But first, let's begin by just acknowledging something. This idea that God lets us suffer because he loves us is frankly hard to believe. Is it not? The answer is yes. You're used to, like, not responding, but the answer is yes, yes. It's hard to believe. It is philosophically difficult to believe that a God who controls the entire universe, who claims that he is fully good and fully loved, will also allow you to suffer. But, this sounds kind of interesting, it is the best ideology and worldview out there. And I want to make it unbelievably clear tonight that intellectually, if you go out and try to find any other worldview that better suits the suffering human being, you will not find one outside of Christ. So here's my examples for you, okay? I want to run through four different worldviews. First, I want to begin with Islam. Islam says that the reason why you're suffering is because God is trying to test your faithfulness to him. So in other words, Allah gives followers of Islam suffering in order to see if they're legit or not. Hinduism says that the reason why you're suffering is because you sinned in a previous life. I've actually kind of talked to you guys about this before, but my friend Amber is a really cool person. She like lived out of her car for a while. She was so cool. I was like, how do you do that? Shout out the gym. Anyways, crazy life. Great human being. She's actually a missionary in Bangkok, Thailand in the red light district as she helps women in caught in sex slavery get out. Here's the number one problem she runs into. Those women have been taught from very young that because of their Hinduistic religion that the reason why they're stuck in sex slavery is because they messed up in their previous life. So when she tells them good news about freedom, joy, and satisfaction in Christ, they don't believe her. Hinduism says that you are suffering because it's your fault. Agnosticism believes that God is out there, but he doesn't give a crap about you. You suffer in your own little pod. You suffer with the disease and the cancer and the depression and the pain and watching people die all around you, but God does not care about you. He is indifferent to your suffering, and atheism teaches you this. If you want to get out on our culture and just be really, really honest with an atheist, like I love having these conversations, you know, it's so exciting. I usually buy them coffee because it's going to be awkward, but, you know, whatever. I'll sit down with a naturalistic worldview atheist, and, and here's the problem with the suffering view of the atheist is, if you're an atheist, here's what is true. You are nothing but a product of atoms, randomly existing in human history, 
And all of the suffering that you endure is simply to weed out the weak from the strong. In other words, your suffering has, your suffering has no purpose and no meaning. So in review, as we look at four of the major ideologies and worldviews of 2023 all across the world, here's what we find. That in Islam, suffering is to test you, to see if you're legit or not, that Allah will give you suffering in order to see if you're legit. Then in Hinduism, suffering is because you messed up in a previous life. In agnosticism, suffering happens because God does not care about you. And in atheism, suffering has no meaning. So here, let me just level with you. That was my philosophy part, okay? <laughs> Believing Hebrews 12 is frankly very difficult. This idea that God would allow you to suffer because he loves you. But let me tell you, it is much more legit than anything else out there. Every other worldview is completely bankrupt in describing to you the meaning of your suffering. Okay, so that's my philosophical argument. Next argument. This is not just a philosophical argument. This is actually a relational argument. Okay, look, think back with me to Hebrews 12. I don't know if we can put it up there again. Sorry, Ben. I'm so sorry. In verse 7, the context of what God is saying to his people is not that he disciplines you from afar. It's not that he disciplines you because he doesn't like you. It's not that he disciplines you because he doesn't care about you. But actually, the context by which God is speaking to his people is a father and child relationship. It is incredibly intimate. So this is a relational argument. And here are some of the relational questions that I think it's helpful for us to process as we think through how it could be possible that the God of the universe, the Father of heaven and earth, would allow us to suffer. And here are the four questions that I want you to think through the lens of a father and see if this resonates with you. Question number one, what if what the culture has been trying to convince you of, that an easy life is the best life, isn't actually true? What if convenience culture and the American dream, trying to convince you that the easy life is the best life isn't actually true. What if that's a facade? What if that's a fake news? Whatever. Second question that I have for you. What if the best life you could ever live is to fall deeply in love with Jesus? What if the life that you're actually looking for, the life of joy and satisfaction and fulfillment, cannot come from the things of this world, but can only come from being deeply in love with Jesus? Transition to verse Question number three, and what if the way the Bible describes the setting in which you fall deeply in love with Jesus is not a setting of ease, but a setting of suffering? What if the way that when the Bible talks about your spiritual growth and your spiritual depth, the context is not ease, but actually suffering? Question number four, what if God will use the suffering in your life to draw you near to him? Then I think here is our logical conclusion. That if suffering is the pathway to deeply follow loving Jesus, then God is giving us our best life through suffering. Therefore, he is loving us by letting us suffer. This is one of like six Tim Queller quotes I have tonight, so just be ready. Here's what Keller says. One of the main ways we move from abstract knowledge about God to a personal encounter with him as a living reality is through the furnace of affliction. Listen, maybe God is using the suffering in your life right now, not because he's disappointed in you, not because he's even trying to test you, but because he wants you to become deeply in love with him. What if he's using the suffering in your life to draw you near? Okay. That's the philosophical, logical reasoning part. And then I just want to pastor you, okay? Because let me just be honest, this week has been horrible. Like, so bad. I, I've hated this week. Not because I hate you guys. You guys are amazing. 
Well, because this week has just kicked me in the shins over and over again. I mean, my shins are bloodied and bruised and sad. There are things happening in the life of our ministry that are incredibly painful, and so I just want to talk to you as a person and say, listen, there are so many questions that I have for God that have never been answered. And I know that sounds weird, like, don't you have good theology? Yes, I try to, okay? Don't you have the philosophical reasoning for why suffering happens? Yes, I do, and I believe it. But there are questions in my life, like why did my parents grow up in starvation, I don't have an answer to. There are questions in my life, like why could I never meet my grandfather because he died at 36 years old from torture that I will never get an answer to. There are questions in my life, like why is trauma still haunting me every day that I, I just I don't have answers to right now. And maybe that sounds uncomfortable for you guys, but I just want to speak to you for a second. I don't know what your story is. There's hundreds of people in this room, but as a pastor, I've seen it all. I've heard you talk to me about moments when you're so depressed that you cannot see a way out, that you think about the next 10, 20, 30, 50 years of your life and you cannot see it getting better and so you think about quitting life. I've heard about some of you in this room that have stories of sexual abuse by parental figures. I've heard about rape in this room. I've heard about people in your life that have been shot down in the streets in this room. I've heard every single broken, sin-cursed world curse on your life. And listen, what I can't give you tonight is the exact reason why that happened. I can't. But I can promise you this. That in every season of suffering in my life, when I hit rock bottom, when I had nothing left to give, when I had lost everything in my life, when I hit those moments of brokenness in my life, I didn't have the answers, but I met Jesus there. And I honestly cannot even put to words how real this is, but I remember seasons of my life when I was struggling with my father wounds, when I was depressed and anxious, and I got to the end of myself in a fetal position, and I cannot describe to you with words how real Jesus was to me. He was the realest thing about life. I was dehydrated, and he was my living water. He was everything I wanted. It was unbelievable clarity that nothing in this world could satisfy my soul except Jesus. And I think for so many of us in this room, we spend the vast majority of our days trying to find healing other places. But here's what happens when you try to find healing other places. It sucks you dry day by day. And so listen, I cannot promise you that I've got answers for every single reason for why you've suffered so much, but I can promise you that if you would just run to Jesus, he would meet you in your mess. Because in those moments, here's what I wanted. I wanted so bad for the suffering to end, but I got something so much better. I got him. And this might sound crazy to some of you guys, but I'll live the last decades of my life of suffering over and over and over again if it meant that I could be with Jesus as intimately as I was then. See, the Christian life is incredibly beautiful, not because life is easy, not because death won't happen, not because life is a coasting mechanism, but because even in the brokenness of life, we have someone to run to. See, the problem with every other ideology is that they don't have someone to run to. 
in every other worldview and ideology, your suffering is about you and only you. But in our view of the God, we actually get to run to Jesus. And so here's why I think in Hebrews 12, I want to make this unbelievably clear. One of the reasons God might be letting you suffer is so that you could actually experience something much better than suffering, and that's to know Jesus intimately. But the second reason why it might be letting you suffer is because there is purpose in the pain. Look with me to verse 10. I need water so bad, so I'm sorry, but I have to do this. Sorry. Okay. Verse 10. For they are earthly fathers. I put that in there. You don't have that in your Bible, but I put that in there for context. Disciplined us for a short time that seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Come on, that's so good. To those who are trained by it. And I love this next part because the Bible is just, it's hardcore sometimes. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Guys, the Bible is so cool. Like, I'm just going to say, like, this has nothing to do with my sermon. It's just amazing, okay? Three reasons why I, I think I see in this text for why God might be allowing you to suffer. The first one is this. Suffering produces holiness. Okay, look with me to verse 10. For they, our earthly fathers, for a short time, disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good. Okay, for our good that we may share in his holiness. Okay, isn't it true that we all want to be holy, but none of us want to suffer? Isn't it true that all of us desire to look more like Jesus? But here's the problem with that. In order to look more like Jesus, a lot of us has to die. A lot of the way that we view the world, a lot of the way that we view God even, a lot of the ways that we view the idolatry of the world has to be burned off in the fiery furnace of suffering in order to look more like Jesus. Keller has this incredible quote, and honestly... It broke my mind. It took me like six minutes to understand. So hopefully it's quicker for you. Here's what he says. It is only when suffering comes that you realize who is the true God and what are the false gods of your lives. Only the true God, this is just unbelievable. How does he come up with this stuff? Can go with you through the furnace and out to the other side. The other gods will abandon you in the furnace. I, that, come on, God. That is so good. Wow. Okay. Here's what's true. If you want to become holy, if you want to look more like Jesus, then you will have to walk through the furnace with him. There is no other way. Your religion can't do it for you. You're like spiritual discipline. I mean, spiritual disciplines are good, but they can't do it for you. Your good vibes can't do it for you. Your Christianese can't do it for you. Your foundation can't do it for you. Your confirmation class can't do it for you. If you want to look more like Jesus, then you have to step into the fiery furnace of suffering hand in hand with Jesus and watch everything a part of you that's not him burn off. The idolatry in our lives, the ways that we think we can do life without Jesus, the ways that we think we can actually live holy lives without Christ. And here's the thing, if you want to become more like Jesus, if you want to become holy, you need to hold Jesus' hand and walk through the fiery furnace of suffering with him. So here's the good news to the antithesis of that. If you're suffering, here's what I want you to know from Hebrews chapter 12. God is trying to make you holy. God is trying to make you holy. Okay, second thing that suffering produces in this text is unexplainable peace. This is so good. Look with me to verse 11. 
For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. The Bible's honest. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Okay, here's what suffering produces. This is so cool. Like, I need you to understand this. Suffering produces the peaceful fruit of righteousness within you. It produces a peace that makes no sense. Like that song, Firm Foundation, ooh, Firm Foundation, peace that makes no sense. It gets me every time. I'm like, yes, that's what it does. That's what Jesus does for you. And here's how it works pragmatically. It works like this. I've done this before at Salt, so if you've been here for a while, you get it. Here's what happens. You suffer. You go into seasons of your life where you get to the end of yourself and you meet Jesus there. Even after you become a Christian, you will suffer when you're at your lowest. And in the moment, it honestly feels like you cannot walk with him any longer. You run out of resources for what to do and what to say. And then Jesus Christ meets you in your suffering and brings you out of that season. Does that make sense? And then now, in hindsight, you can be like, man, if Jesus was faithful to me then, will he not also be faithful to me now? Will he not also be faithful to me for the rest of my life? See, here's what suffering with Jesus produces. It's, it produces a deep peace. I don't know about you guys, but the most, like, peaceful people... Oh, sorry. <laughs> I'm so loud. The most peace, peaceful people I know in my life, like people who walk in and they kind of got, like, a zen about them, and you're like, <laughs> why are you not afraid of anything? <laughs> That's how I feel. The most peaceful people in my life have suffered so much. They've watched God walk them out of seasons of depression. They've watched God be faithful to them when their parent died. They watched God be faithful to them when they didn't know if they even believed. And they watched God be faithful to them through every sin that clings so closely. And let me tell you, they've got a piece about them that makes no sense. Here's what will happen when you suffer with Jesus. You will have a testimony to tell. And you're able to say, listen, I didn't get out of the ditch. Jesus got me out of that ditch. I didn't get out of the valley. Jesus got me out of the valley. And here's what happens. You become a Christian when you're driving down the road of life, and you see ditches everywhere. You're like, oh my, oh my gosh, so many, so many ditches. But you do not have to be afraid because Jesus once got you out of that ditch. Won't he also get you out of this ditch? Does that make sense? Is that an alarm? Are people like, is this your bedtime? <laughs> Anyways, 9 o'clock, I was like, wow. But why would you have an alarm at 9 o'clock? That makes no sense, Tony. Move on. Okay. Jesus will give you unexplainable peace through suffering. Last thing that I want us to see is that suffering produces resilience. Produces resilience. It's a really nice word. Verse 12. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your seat so that what is lame may not be put out of joint but rather be healed. Okay, here's what happens. This is so cool. I need you to understand this. Here's what happens when you actually understand that your pain has a purpose. You become resilient. You no longer identify as a victim. You actually identify as a victor. Because here's what happens when you realize that suffering doesn't own you and Jesus does. You're no longer a victim, but you're a victor. When you realize that suffering won't destroy you, but it will build you. You no longer succumb to the suffering of this world, but you are a victor in Christ. When you realize that suffering cannot win. This is the good news of our Savior. He did not just suffer and like melt, you know. He, just, he didn't just stay there in his suffering. He suffered, died, and then conquered death and suffering once and for all. 
And if he did that for us and he lives inside of us, then we are no longer victims, but we are victors in Christ. The good news that I have for you tonight is that you don't have to spend the rest of your life being worried about what will happen to you because you're afraid of what happens, what could happen. You can walk the rest of your life knowing that you are not a victim, but you are a victor in Christ. And it will give you unbelievable strength in the midst of suffering, and you will become resilient deep down in your soul. Okay, so if you're a note taker, here's what I want you to write down. Suffering with Jesus will produce a holy Christian, someone who looks much like Jesus and less like the world around them, and it will produce a person with unexplainable peace inside of their soul, peace that cannot be taken from them. Here's why if you have this, you, you actually cannot lose it, and this is the good news, because you didn't earn your peace. Jesus gave it to you. And if God gave it to you, then no one can take it from you. Does that make sense? Unexplainable peace, peace that makes no sense. And you will become a resilient Christian and someone who is strong in seasons of suffering. As I call the worship band back up, here's how I want to end our time together. Okay, we just thought about this, right? Why does God allow us to suffer? Two reasons. One is because there's something better than a painless life. The whole, like, figure out how to make your life super easy and comfortable and you'll be happy thing doesn't work, okay? Hollywood is just as depressed as we are. I mean, I don't know if that's statistically true, but I'm just assuming, okay? An easy life is not the best life for you. A life completely devoted to following Jesus is the best life for you. And if suffering is the context by which God invites you into a life to deeply serve him and to know him more, then as Christians, we can welcome suffering even when it burns like hell. And the second thing is that there's purpose in our pain. Nothing is wasted. Guys, one of the best things about following Jesus is he just helps you reflect on life. You know all the moments in your life that you hate? You know all the moments in your life you wish you could toss away? The memories you wish you could forget? The words that people said to you that you wish didn't burn so bad? All of those memories and moments, the parental divorce, the friend who died, the breakup, the ex, whatever it is, nothing is wasted in the kingdom of God. Which means God is using all of that, all that baggage, all that pain, all that suffering to create in you a depthful human being that has resilience and suffering. Nothing is wasted in the kingdom of God. And in my opinion, nothing resembles this better than Jesus at the Garden of Gethsemane. Look with me to Luke chapter 22, verse 42, and here's what Jesus says as he goes up to pray to talk to the Father. He says, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him, and being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and guys, this is crazy, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping in sorrow. Okay, here's something that Jesus understood at a core level. That there was something far more important than a painless life. That serving and knowing his father was better than the pain of this world. And he knew another thing, that his purpose, that his pain would have a purpose. What changed my life from being that 13-year-old that left the church because I hated the idea of a God who would allow suffering in the world to that 17-year-old who walked into an environment much like this and fell deeply in love with Jesus was not religion, was not tradition, was not Christian formalities, was not Christian cliches, 
was none of that. What changed my life was meeting a God who would suffer in my place. For the first time in my life, I felt like someone understood me completely. All of the pain, all of the suffering, all of the trauma, all of the stuff, for the first time in my life, I looked into the eyes of Jesus on the cross and I felt completely understood. And so here's my good news for you tonight. I don't know your pain, but Jesus Christ does. I don't know your suffering, but he does. And here's the good news that 1 Peter says to us, that by his wounds, you have been healed. So listen, I don't have answers for you of why you endured everything that you did, but here's what I know for a fact, that if you run to Jesus, if you touch his wounds, you will be healed. You will experience being known in a way that you can never imagine. You will experience the grace of God in a way that you can never fathom. And the rush of his love will pour over you and it will feel more real than anything you've ever experienced in your life. Jesus Christ will meet you in your suffering. So tonight, I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to get on my knees and I'm going to invite you to do the same if you want to. And I'm going to beg God that in this room, there will be a heaviness of healing that the Spirit of God would come down and that people's wounds and trauma from the last 20 years of your life would be healed in a moment as you touch the wounds of Jesus, that you would be healed. Let me pray that that be true for us. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for meeting us in our suffering. Thank you that you did not just leave us in the ditches and the valleys, but if we know you, you brought us out. Thank you for healing the wounds of my father. Thank you for healing the depression in my soul. Thank you for the ways that you have come through for me over and over and over again and the ways that you produce peace and resilience and holiness in my heart because of the suffering that you walked me through. And Father, tonight we pray supernatural healing in this room, a peace that makes no sense. Father, would you move? Would you move, Jesus? This is not a normal night. We pray that you would do something miraculous in this place. I'm praying for healing over sexual abuse, over rape, over gang violence. I'm praying for healing in the souls of our people, over suicidal ideation, over people we've lost. Father, move. We pray, we beg you, Lord, would you do it again? You have always come through for us. You have never let us down, and so would you do it again? Tonight, Jesus, we beg you, Lord, in our weakness, your power is made perfect. So we are a weak people in desperate need of healing. Would you move tonight, Lord? Thank you to the son of suffering. Thank you to the God who came and bled and died in my place and suffered on a cross so that I could live. Thank you that by your wounds we have been healed. It's in your mighty name that we pray. Amen. Amen.